we go, everybody. It's time for the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofet along with Rich DeCray. Again, we're doing this virtually, not in the same studio, but still we got a lot to talk about. Women's College World Series underway. Oklahoma gets shocked in the opener of the series, but there still is a path to the national championship for the University of Oklahoma. It's just a bit longer. We've got an extended episode or extended, I guess, edition of true or false where i'm asking the questions we're uh including some of you guys uh, in that as well some of the listeners we really appreciate that those of you that are jumping in there with this um most of it's about football i'm gonna be honest with you most of it's about football and then we have some closing thoughts on the oklahoma baseball season sooner is not qualifying for the postseason rich the top story right now is Oklahoma softball losing to James Madison. A second, a very close second, I might add, is the thought that Luther Burden may actually end up flipping his commitment from the University of Oklahoma to Missouri. We'll talk about Burden here in a minute, but let's start with the Women's College World Series. Sooners fall to James Madison by a final score of four to three. On your shock level of zero to 100,000, where does this rank to you? It's definitely at the top of the list. And you have to look at the path that James Madison took. They've been defying all odds all throughout this NCAA tournament en route to the Women's College World Series appearance. Um, But this is a team that obviously came to play. This is a team that doesn't really know what it's like to lose. And they found themselves in a very similar situation, at least when it came to this, not the schedule, but how they ran through that schedule as the Oklahoma Sooners did. You've got to remember they were 39 and two coming into the game against Oklahoma. They're now 40 and two. The only other team in the country that could boast two losses was guess who? That's right. The Oklahoma Sooners. So we knew that these were two teams who knew how to win. It was going to be strength versus strength. Which one was going to break? We had yet to see, but I, I got to tell you, Matt, I was a little bit worried because one of the things that I said about this Oklahoma team is that if you can score a, a couple of runs, in this case for JMU, it was three runs. If you could score some runs early and put, put some pressure on this offense to deliver, that you've got a really good shot at beating Oklahoma. We said that about, about UW and Washington when they played in the Super Regional, and I thought Washington had no business being there that they actually deserved a higher national seed than 16. It didn't really matter because you have to run through the best if you want to make this national championship series appearance. So when I looked at these two teams, when I looked at some of the similarities that they had, I never would have expected one that jam. You would have put up more runs, AKA three in the top of the inning before Oklahoma had to respond in the bottom of the inning, but it was the defense and everybody wants to talk about Odyssey Alexander and rightfully so after the performance that she gave still shocked, still shocked. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, especially about Odyssey Alexander. Um, You know, there's so many things that that go into play here with this loss that that make it shocking. And I went back and I was thinking about what were the most shocking defeats by Oklahoma athletic events in the 2020-2021 seasons. And, you know, you go back, you think about – you think about basketball, Lon Kruger losing to Kansas State and same thing, football losing to Kansas State. You know, those have to be up there. Um, Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma baseball losing to Kansas. I mean, you're losing to Kansas State. So Kansas State played a big role in a lot of the shocking defeats that Oklahoma suffered um, in, in this last athletic season or this last athletic year. But this by far takes the cake when it comes to losses um, from the University of Oklahoma. But you, you got to think, OK, what is more advantageous now when you get to this stage? Is it pitching or is it hitting? Because if it's, if it's pitching, then Oklahoma is in a lot of trouble. If it's hitting, then Oklahoma is just in a little bit of trouble because they, they have a road, they have a pathway still to the championship, but they've got a long ways to go to get there. They've got to win four consecutive games in order just to qualify for the championship series. Now, the good news is, If you survive Saturday, if you survive Sunday, then everything resets and it becomes a best of three series again. But they're going to start with Georgia at 11 o'clock Saturday morning. And then they got to play the loser of Alabama and UCLA. That's not going to be easy. So I mean, think about it. Alabama, UCLA, or Oklahoma, the top three seeds in this World Series, 
they're not they're, there's no way that they're going to make they're going to make it to the championship series to face each other which just it it blows my mind that either Alabama UCLA or Oklahoma is going to go home before Saturday in this um in this in this world series um if they survive Saturday then they're going to have to either play James Madison or Oklahoma State twice on Sunday in order to qualify to get to that championship series on Monday Again, everything's possible for Oklahoma, but Rich, you got to ask yourself, what's more valuable at this point, hitting or pitching? Because if you look at if you look at Oklahoma's roster, you certainly want to think that it's you hope it's hitting, but you look at what Odyssey Alexander did to them on Thursday morning, and you see the value of pitching, strong pitching. Oklahoma is they're no slouch when it comes to the ladies in the circle, but Odyssey Alexander has proven she's in a class all on her own. Yeah, um, she was, when we talk about Alexander specifically, she was very determined. I thought there were some career, potentially career defining moments for her in that series. You talk about an individual as a pitcher who has a short memory, Odyssey Alexander displayed every single quality that you're looking for. And she shouldered a lot of the burden, rightfully so. She is the star of that team, Matt. Um, I don't know that anyone at this World Series, at the Women's College World Series, has the firepower to keep up with Oklahoma. And so if you can find yourself in a little bit of a rhythm as a pitcher, if you can find yourself hitting your mark and consistently throwing your best pitches and getting the strikeouts, which is exactly what, what Alexander did. Now I, I know that that's debatable because everyone said that her, her best pitch is her curveball, and she didn't use it very often. She still found a way to be successful. And so the argument that I'm making here is I don't know that there's a lot of teams that are going to jump out to the lead that JMU did. I don't know that there's a lot of teams who have the capability of building a lead and a substantial one at that over the Oklahoma Sooners and then come and turn around and back it up with the pitching. There are some great pitchers. Rachel Garcia being a two-time player of the year is one of those players that, that we definitely have to mention with inside of this. Alabama is always going to field a good team as they have an excellent coach and excellent recruiters mm -hmm. on that roster. There are some very dangerous teams that exist in this women's college world series, but to think that Oklahoma is out of it is something that that's never crossed my mind at this point. And you have to think we really haven't seen and Patty Gasso, I know has been, been a huge advocate of this statement. We haven't seen the best of this Oklahoma team. If the bats are going then the pitching struggles here and there, and we see higher scoring contests. Or if the bats aren't working, it's the pitching that's phenomenal. And we see these shutout contests mm -hmm. where Oklahoma finally comes alive in, say, the fifth inning and ends that game in a run rule. So this is, again, not a team that I think you can count out. It's a team with a lot of potential. It's a team with a lot to play for still sitting on the table, but it brings me round circle, Matt, because last week, one of the conversations that you and I had was, is this the best team right. ever assembled? And there's a lot of discussion. I think that's going to continue to center around that question as we head through the rest of this women's college world series, more specifically as we head into Saturday, because if Oklahoma is eliminated from play on Saturday, I think it's a, it's a closed case. There's no argument to be made anymore. No, I agree. I 100%. But yet, if they come back and they win four in a row to qualify for the championship series, yes, absolutely. then suddenly everything's back in play. And there, it's not like there isn't a precedent for this. I mean, as, as recent, I think it was 2018, Rich, you and I were there. Florida State loses the first game, and then they come back through the loser's bracket and win the whole thing. So, win the whole thing. Yeah, it's not like it can't be done. And if there's a team built for it, it's this Oklahoma team mm -hmm. that goes three deep on the pitching circle. It's got a very, very dangerous lineup. So I'm not counting Oklahoma out whatsoever, but here's my question. I know you got one thing you want to say about this, but I'm, I'm going to let you say it, but then I want you to answer this question. What's going to be more difficult for this Oklahoma team? Surviving Saturday where they're going to play for sure Georgia and then either UCLA or Alabama or Sunday when you're going to get either James Madison again or Oklahoma State where you got to beat them two times. Which of those scenarios is in your mind is more difficult? It's it's funny at this point, and in a roundabout way of getting to my answer, Oklahoma has seen all of these teams that they will play en route to the World Championship Series. 
They've seen them before. They've played Georgia twice. They've played Oklahoma State how many times now? They had a three-game series, right. and then they played in, in the Big 12 championship as well. So they've played JMU once. These are teams that are going to be extremely familiar with one another. It'll be Except interesting Except for Alabama, to see. UCLA. I mean, that, that's, that's, there's your wild card right there. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, so, you know they're, they're going to play the loser of that game, second game on Saturday. So then you're like, oh, wait a minute. So, I mean, I see what you're saying. And it's great because right. there's familiarity there. But then you're like, wait a minute. There's your, there's your wild card right there. Either UCLA or no, no. I don't, I don't know that the familiarity is a good thing. That's what I was getting at. I think so it you're is for Oklahoma. Because if, you, if you're Oklahoma, you're deeper and you're more powerful. So I think, I think familiarity is – and there's also – except for JMU. You, you know what Georgia – Georgia says, well, we beat you once, but then we got run rolled. With Oklahoma State, they've lost three out of four times to Oklahoma this season. So there's a mental edge there. I don't – that's all out the window with UCLA or Alabama. And, and when, you, when you look at all these teams, I don't see a single one of them being deeper or more powerful than Oklahoma. When we look at the familiarity, though, we also have to take the other side of the equation. And it's this fact. It's everyone's seen Shannon Sale. A majority of the teams that Oklahoma will face have seen Nicole May. There's a handful of people who have also seen G. Juarez, whether that was with Oklahoma or whether that was with Arizona State. There's a lot of familiarity that is going on and that will play out. I was saying it's interesting to see how these coaches will attack that familiarity, how they'll change some things up in order to maybe give themselves an edge, but it could completely backfire Mm -hmm. on them. We talk about Patty Gasso being one of the best in the game. I know that she is sixth all time in career wins as a head coach, and that speaks volumes in and of itself. But we're seeing the level of play continuously ratchet itself up, and we're seeing players from across the country. It doesn't matter if you play in the Pac-12 or the SEC anymore. There are teams across the country that can compete and can challenge you. I'm looking at ULL. I'm looking at JMU this season. I'm looking at Florida State a couple years ago, and they've now really built upon a lot of the success that they had at the Women's College World Series. So, Matt, there's a lot of confidence there's a lot of familiarity in how these coaches attack that. But I will say what scares me the most here, I don't know um, that it would be Oklahoma State right now. And it's because of what we've seen out of Oklahoma State. This is not a knock against them. It just seems to be an MO. And I think this played out yesterday as well for Oklahoma State was mistakes seem to bite them at the the most pivotal times of the game because Oklahoma state very easily could have lost that game yesterday, but instead they go on to win by one run late, late inning mistakes seem to be their Achilles heel and they, they haven't figured out a way to completely stop those. So I have to say, when we look at the matchups, Georgia's the one that scares me, Georgia, they're playing with a lot of confidence. They're another team that a lot of people didn't think, should be here. They go in and beat the SEC regular season champion and tournament champion in Florida. Florida won the tournament. I'd have to go and double check that one now. Um, But we know that Florida was the regular season champion. All of a sudden, Georgia comes in, beats them, goes into the Women's College World Series with a lot of momentum. They're a team that, that scares me because they've proven that the blueprint that was set scoring runs early and putting the pressure on this Oklahoma offense to produce leads to a victory. The question is, can they do it again? And like I said, I get against Oklahoma State, Georgia, that 2-3 loss for them very well could have been uh, the reverse of that. But Georgia's playing with a lot of confidence. They had a lot of momentum. It'll be interesting to see how they respond to that loss yesterday to Oklahoma State and come out against Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm agreeing with you that Saturday, I have confidence if Oklahoma makes it to Sunday. I have confidence against JMU. I have confidence against Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've seen this Oklahoma team with their backs against the wall already once with Oklahoma State. The, the Cowgirls won the opener of Bedlam. If Oklahoma wants the Big 12 championship, they got to win two in a row. And we've, we've seen that play out. Um, but Saturday, Saturday is going to be a big day for this team. Again, you're, you're going to get either – a powerhouse from the Pac-12 
in that second game or a powerhouse from the SEC in that second game. But you start out with what you said, a very hot Georgia team. But you, if they survive Saturday, I will, as a fan, I will go into Sunday feeling pretty confident. Yeah, I agree with that. One last comment that I wanted to tack on to, to, to this particular portion of the podcast, Matt, was we haven't even mentioned how Oklahoma has responded after a loss. It's why they've been considered one of the best teams in the country. They've never suffered back-to-back defeats. I'm hoping that that rings true on Saturday. I'm hoping Oklahoma goes into Saturday, not necessarily revitalized, but refocused for sure. And I wonder how much mentally JMU coming in as being that lowest lowest ranked team or lowest seeded team facing the number one overall. I'm wondering how much that played into the game mentally for Oklahoma and then finding themselves in a hole. And this is a JMU team that's saying, look, no one thought we would be here. I even think the JMU locker room is saying we didn't really expect to be here. So we're going to give it everything we have because we have nothing left to lose. Oklahoma being able to refocus not dropping consecutive games, I think bodes well. If we're making a point for Oklahoma against Georgia, that one has to be it. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Oklahoma and JM, Oklahoma State and JMU uh, set to get started here in about 20 minutes uh, after we wrap up this podcast, and then we'll know who Oklahoma's opponent would be should the Sooners advance to Sunday. Let's flip back over to football for just a second. Luther Burden, I mean, everything's opening back up for college football recruiting. Recruits are able to get on campus. Burden goes to Missouri uh, last weekend, uh, last week, and has a great time. Rumors begin to swirl that he's going to flip his commitment, stay home, and play for the Tigers. Are you buying into this? I am not at this point in time. I don't really see the legs growing from this argument that people have assigned to it and the reason why Matt you wrote an article and I think you summed it up very very well when you said that because recruiting has opened back up there are numerous visits that were that were already in the minds of these recruits that they wanted to take and I'm saying to myself as that began to open up let's expect even if even if kids were already committed somewhere for them to enjoy the recruitment process. That means visiting universities that they're not committed to. They wanna see what everybody's about and they want to be able to enjoy step one, step two, step three, however many steps are in that process for them. They want to be able to enjoy them equally and recognizing that the, the freshmen who were on college campuses this year didn't get to do that. So they're taking it all in, they're evaluating it. I'm not saying that Oklahoma is the final destination 100%, but I'm not worried about it at this point because, as I've mentioned, kids being at the collegiate or exploring collegiate athletics are going through the process, and I expect them to enjoy that and take every single bit or every ounce of what's given to them because they've earned it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not saying at this point that Luther Burden is not going to flip somewhere from Oklahoma. But you, you, what you're saying is spot on, Rich, is that these guys, they, they've been pinned up for a year due to COVID. And, and I went through this process with my son, and I've talked about it extensively on this podcast, that when you get the chance to go make these visits, when you get the chance to go and, and be in involved in these things you do it he went to missouri on june 2nd Mm -hmm. he took we're recording this on friday this weekend he's going to be at ole miss later on in the month he's going to alabama and and georgia he's going back to missouri on june 24th hang in there oklahoma fans that's for a seven on seven camp he's going to be at the champion barbecue june 26th and 27th in norman in july he's going to indiana so you can't i mean he's from st louis so you got to think, I mean, they say he had nothing but good things to say about his visit to Missouri. That's, that's great. But when you look at official <laughs> visits in the fall, here, here's what I'm getting at. If you're an Oklahoma fan, I think you need to worry more about June 18th when he goes to Alabama, June 23rd when he goes to Georgia. I think you need to worry about those visits more than you need to worry about what just happened at Missouri. And here's the reason why. When you look at the official visits, those fall visits, the, the, those are the official recruiting visits. His four visits are Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Florida. So all this talk about Missouri right now, that's great. I mean, look, that's his home state, okay? Let, let, let him have it. 
But when you talk about the officials, that's when you really got to kind of perk up and pay attention that he's planning on going to Alabama on an official visit. He's planning on going to Georgia for an official visit. He's planning on going to Florida for an official visit. And he's planning on Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the only non-SEC school that he's planning an official visit with. To me, that tells me he's committed to the Sooners and the Sooners are in good standings. I'm not at this point. It's so early. I said that in my article that I wrote. And we're still six months away from the early signing period. At this point, to me, there's no reason to jump off the cliff, so to speak, when it comes to recruiting this kid. Yeah, um, again, I'm in 100% agreement with you here. I think it'll be more interesting later in the year as we get closer and closer to signing. That's when the real decisions, I think, are made. There are some some individuals who commit early on in high school, early on in the the whole, what I labeled as the process at this point in time, there are some who commit early on during that and, and they remain committed. But oftentimes what we see that is a decommitment down the road and they do begin looking elsewhere for various reasons. Burden is someone that I think Oklahoma would take with open arms, but sure. you've already said it. I think Florida, I think Georgia, I think Alabama are in the exact same boat. So those are the conversations. You're 100% right. Those are the conversations that are going to begin to turn heads. And those are when we will see the crystal ball predictions that come out from 247 Sports, as well as other outlets. Those are when they're actually going to matter. Yep, we got a couple more recruiting tidbits uh, in our true or false segment just to uh, get Rich prepared for that. And uh, I get to ask the questions and we're heading there next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Rich, uh, here we go. I'm in here for true or false. I get to ask you the question. I've got a total of seven true or false questions for you this week. Here's what I'm doing. I'm making up for you and your lack of five true or false questions. Hold up here. Hold up. I'm just saying, I mean, it wasn't last week. It was that was three weeks ago. We just got to We just got to balance it out, man. We got to have an average. So I'm feeling uh, the love. I'm feeling the love. Five of them are mine. We got two of them from our listeners. I just wanted to throw in there as well. Uh, we're going to start this. I, I know we talked a lot on the onset of this podcast about the Women's College World Series. We're going to stick with that topic for this first question. And then I think we're going to um, I think we're going to go full into uh, football from from that point on. But here we go. Um, big play on Thursday in the opener of the Women's College World Series. Uh, Jennings, by the way, we, we didn't talk about what a fantastic game Tiara Jennings had. Uh, in that opener, um, definitely proving her merit as the freshman of the year. She makes a diving play uh, to, to catch a ground ball from going into the outfield from her knees. She throws the first base. Umpire calls the runner safe upon replay. It's clear. It was close. Clearly, she's out, though, but that run was safe. A couple batters later, you get a three-run home run. That one run ended up being the game different, game winning difference for JMU over Oklahoma. So here's my question to you, Rich. True or false, at least the Women's College World Series should have instant replay. You mean from for the duration of the season? Yeah, You're no, not advocating for it to be there during the regular season, yeah, yeah. during conference championships, See, but for sure when we hit the Women's College World Series. Exactly, because, you know, baseball baseball has replay throughout the regular season. I get that mm-hmm. when, when you talk about the economic impact of adding that to a, quote, non-revenue sport like softball is on a national average. Not, not every program is like the University of Oklahoma that makes millions of dollars through softball. So I get that argument, but when you get to this level, championship level eight teams only one's going to win the championship every game's broadcast on espn millions of dollars are flowing in to this this one event 
this and nothing else, not the regional, mm-hmm. not the super regional, if nothing else, this one event should at least have replay. Now, I'm going to go with true on that. And you look at the growth of the sport in general of softball, how it's gained steam here over the past 15 to 20 years to where the the softball complex USA Softball Hall of Fame Stadium has said there's so many people that are attempting to get tickets to these events, whether that be the session one or whether that be the championship series. Session one, Thursday morning, not necessarily an ideal time, but it's always a packed venue. So they said, you know what? We're going to blow this thing out. We're going to add more seating, which again means more revenue coming in. I think that, just my opinion here, I think that the just the sheer fact of these teams making the women's college world series, it's a feat in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And it's something to be proud of while I know everybody there is hoping to take home the crown, just getting there is quite an achievement. And I think it's due. I think it's earned by these individuals, by these athletes to have an equal playing field to that of baseball. In my opinion, again, just my take on it. I couldn't tell you how many baseball games, I've watched, but softball is far more entertaining to me. There's a lot more crowd involvement. It doesn't seem, and this seems very negative when I say it out loud in a statement, it's not a social activity. People are actually there engaged in what's happening on the field and they're vocal about it. Now that does happen in baseball, just not with the same level of frequency that it happens in softball. And so I think not only do the players deserve it, but the fans also deserve it. We know what's at stake when they step onto the field. We know that it's a double elimination format from start to finish two losses and you're done. So when we look at the grand scheme of things, Matt, and we know what's at stake and we know the money that's poured being poured into this specific venue in Oklahoma City, absolutely. I think it's the least, utterly the least that they could do for these athletes, for these coaches for these teams and for the fans to make sure that things were done properly and that the right team was crowned at the end of the day with no controversy. Okay. I'm a hundred percent on board with you. Um, let's go to number two. Uh, we talked about Luther burden and we talked about football recruiting. Let's go back to that for just a quick second. Regard true or false, regardless of what Luther burden decides to do, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, five-star defensive tackle, he's the guy that Oklahoma must absolutely get in the 2022 recruiting class. Tell me what what position he plays because I'm trying to look that up. Five-star defensive line. Defensive tackle or edge? Yeah, defensive tackle. Okay. Um, Man, I I think I'm going to go with True on this one as well. I think he is a class-altering type talent. And the reason I say that is when we look at a guy like Luther Burton, sure, you welcome him with open arms. And it doesn't matter how many recruits you have at wide receiver. It doesn't matter how many you have already committed at the wide receiver position. When a talent of that caliber says, I want to play at the university and I want to play for you as the coach, you say yes. And you make it work out in the long run and scholarship wise for a player like that. But in the grand scheme of things, The overarching issue for Oklahoma has been the defense. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at what Oklahoma has done defensively, and more specifically when you look at what they've done at the defensive line and that defensive tackle position, is they brought in two transfers from the JUCO ranks, ranked number one and number two, Perrion Winfrey and Joshua Ellison. And they have been extremely productive it's opened things out up for the outside for these pass rushers to come in whether that be a hybrid position at the linebacker slash defensive end or whether it be a true defensive end it's opened things up and it's a large reason why we saw Isaiah Thomas have a breakout breakout year later in his career when I look at what Oklahoma needs I have to have to lean towards the defensive side and I have to lean towards that defensive tackle position because once Ellison and once Winfrey decide that they're done at the university or they're out of eligibility there's not a lot of proven talent behind them there's not a lot of depth and there's not a lot of star power there so I do think Dindy would be the bigger get I think he's 
the class defining signature that you need in this in this recruiting class and that's no slight to burden at all no i agree 100 percent with you i mean I, I i'm like every other oklahoma football fan i want luther burden to come play football in norman but at the end of the day th this team has receivers for days and they've got young they've got talented guys but you're you look at what you're losing at that defensive line position or those defensive line positions after this 2021 season and I think Brownlow Dindy absolutely becomes the must get and that game changer um, for this program in this 2022 recruiting class. Let's move on to number three, just to refresh you or maybe to inform those of you who didn't get to know this earlier in the week, Paul Feinbaum uh, on television, one of the programs uh, was quoted. I mean, he dropped a bunch of truth nuggets about the Texas Longhorns. He talked about the, the boosters and how many high-level donors have direct access to Sarkeesian, had direct access to previous coaches, and how that's been an issue. Uh, he talked about the cultural issues that they, they face down in Austin that nobody else has to deal with except for those guys there in Austin. And he just he, he really didn't say a single good thing about the Texas football program. And then he's, he drops this nugget, Rich. I'm sure you heard it, but again, for those that are listening and that didn't get it, um, I, I want to read this quote. This is directly from Paul Feinbaum. Uh, he says, Texas can't even win its own state anymore. They lost two of the best players to Alabama. It's pathet pathetically behind Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, and it's way behind its biggest rival in Norman, Oklahoma. Texas is fighting for third at best in its own league. True or false, Rich, Paul Feinbaum was spot on with his comments on the state of the Texas football program. True, and we've been saying that since the Charlie Strong years. Oh, Oklahoma, Texas has never reco recovered from 2009. I know you lose a player like Colt McCoy, who was a generational player for Texas. You lose a coach in Mac Brown, and the snowball effect moving from the top of the hill to the bottom quickly, 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 Matt. I, I don't know how how much I, I can say that enough, but it quickly took hold. And when we looked at Texas, they've been fighting this uphill battle since hiring Charlie Strong. They thought they found another answer, a guy who could resurrect the program in Tom Herman. It simply didn't work out. Now they're moving on to another big name, not necessarily an up-and-comer like Tom Herman was deemed at the time, but another big name in Steve Sarkeesian, who has a lot of experience and it is an immediate draw, at least in the eyes of the fan, mm -hmm. for these recruits and for these top-notch players. I will tell you this, though. Texas's big downfall has been that they haven't recruited quarterbacks. They've recruited skill position players. They've recruited quarterbacks to play defensive back, but they've never recruited a quarterback to play quarterback, or so it seems in the true sense of the word quarterback. That will be their Achilles heel. That will be something that continues to define the program in my eyes. And that will ultimately be something that either brings success or brings downfall. If we used Eastern culture terms, shame or honor <laughs> to this program. So yeah, I absolutely see the argument. I'm in agreement with it in that Texas is third in the conference at this point at best and not even the best program in the state of Texas. Yeah, and by, by recruiting quarterbacks, you mean like landing quarterbacks? Because most recently, you know, they had Quinn Ewers uh, that was on board when, um, you know, and, and then they, they did the Tom Herman left and Ewers went to Ohio State. Um, they, they, they've been in on quarterbacks. They've just not landed the type of quarterback. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm talking about going back to Robert Griffin, who they oh, no, thought I, should I'm, have played defensive back. Right. No, I feel you. They, they have mismanaged <laughs> yeah. that, that situation. Yes. But they have been in on quarterbacks as well, who ended up not, not panning and, out. And, and let's be honest here, though, because I know that Texas has recruited north of the Red River. In fact, there's a lot of anticipation that they're starting quarterback will be a kid from the Oklahoma City Metro when right. they step out onto the field here in August, September. When we look at what the potential is for 
for the quarterback play, sorry, someone just knocked on the front door. It kind of startled me. Um, when we look at the potential at the quarterback play for Texas, I think they're going to take a step up. Sam Ellinger, the tenacity that he played with, the style that he played with, ultimately wasn't – it wasn't what I would have been looking for in a quarterback. He fit more of a Tim Tebow kind of role. He fit more of this um, ideological – jump pass quarterback who could take hit after hit and became this running threat for you more than a passing threat. That's not going to be the case moving forward. Not that I can see with the names that currently sit on the Texas roster. So this may be that turning point for them, but until proven otherwise, I have to buy into fine bombs argument. Yeah. You know, um, I, it's not every day. I, I, I could probably count on, on one hand, the number of times that I have agreed with Paul Feinbaum. But this is absolutely one of those times. And like you said, it's things that we've been saying about the Texas program going back to Charlie Strong. Um, here we go. Moving on. Number four for me, um, over and under. I and mean, we're, heading, we're heading into the, the dog days of summer where you start talking about futures and uh, football and this and that. But the over, under on wins, true or false, Rich, the over, under on wins for Oklahoma football this fall should be set at 10 or a half. Ten and a half, true or false? False. Where should I think set? it should be set at eleven? Dude, yeah, I think it should be set at eleven. I'm agreeing with you across the board so far. Um, I, I actually, I'll be honest with you. I set this question up so that you and I could have a disagreement. And I, I thought you were going to jump all over this and say, yep, absolutely. Ten and a half. That way, eleven wins. They're, they're, they, they, they cover that. But um, you yeah, surprised no, me I on think this it, one. Matt, I think at 10 and a half, if it's set at 10 and a half, someone's going to lose a lot of money and the people are going to win. Yeah, when you a say someone's going to lose a lot of money, you mean like the sports books are going to lose a lot of money. Correct. Right. Correct. Vegas, whoever you want to throw out there, sports book wise, yes, absolutely. When you look at what Oklahoma has returning defensively, I know there we're, we're looking at some of these cornerback positions. We're looking at the nickelback position and saying that those things have to be settled. But the truth is, is that Oklahoma's getting Kennedy Brooks, who's been one of the best running backs in the conference. They're getting him back. They're returning the starting quarterback in Spencer Rattler. They've had transfers come in along the offensive line that should be able to remove any woes, remove any questions from that offensive line, and more specifically the left side of the offensive line. When you look at a guy like Awanya Morris, I know that they're replacing the center, but again, bringing in guys who have experience at the offensive line position and various positions, but more importantly, have experience with the Oklahoma Sooners and have some kind of meshing there. A lot of those question marks begin to go away. For me, we talk about the wide receivers needing to prove themselves. There's not a lot of proven depth there. I know there's Theo Weiss. I know there's Marvin Mims. Who's going to emerge as an as a third option to those guys? Will it come from the tight end or H back position? Even there's there's just not a lot of question marks for me that can't be answered up front or even through summer workouts and mm -hmm. heading into the fall. There's not a lot of question marks that can't be answered in that time period for me. Which I mean, it very easily says Iowa State's going to be a good team, but how many other teams can beat Oklahoma? more than once out of 10 times that answer to me is a zero right now well the kansas state wildcats are going to have to ha want to have a phone conversation with you after this uh, podcast airs but <laughs> I, I i do agree i think i think 11 is where is where that line should be um let's let's go to my final question here on true or false and it's um it's about positions and players and one of the things that you just alluded to and this is just uh, kind of the closing the door on this on this subject. True or false, the dismissal of Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan will have little to no impact on the field this fall. That is true. We have fully, fully discussed, Matt, the, the running back room, the running back depth, and the expectation, even without the incident happening, that there was a potential redshirt. Mm -hmm. in the future of, of the running back. When we look at the receiver position, though, I know the expectation was for Trajan Bridges to be the deep threat. Now they have Mike Woods. I was going to say more, but Woods is totally the last name. When you look at Mike Woods 
and what he presents skill-wise, he immediately becomes that threat for you. Right. And we were looking at Arkansas, Matt, and saying that this was possibly the best wide receiving group in the country at Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Mike Woods leaves that group, ends up coming to the University of Oklahoma and has an immediate void that he can fill. I see him being an impact player for Oklahoma. Again, I don't think that impact will be felt. So yes, false. Dude, I don't think uh, you and I have ever agreed across the board for all five true or false questions, but it just happened. And we're not done because we have two bonus questions from listeners. Okay, so like I like to do, Rich, I, I reached out to social media and I asked for a little bit of help with true or false. I was able to come up with five on my own. I hope you can take notes for the future that uh, I could come up with five all by myself. Um, but uh, I also did- I can ride my bike with no handlebars. <laughs> with no handlebars. Um, I did <laughs> get a couple of, I thought, pretty good questions. Uh, one off of Twitter, one off of Facebook. I'm going to throw them at you. These are, these are true or false from listeners. The first one's from Ryan Murphy. Uh, true or false, Lincoln Riley will surpass Barry Switzer's all-time wins at the University of Oklahoma, but he will stay behind Bob Stoops. In other words, Lincoln Riley will be gone before he breaks Bob Stoops' record of all-time wins. True or false? Man, that's that's an, a, a really good question. And why I threw it in there. The reasoning, the reasoning why it's so difficult for me to answer yes or no on the surface, true or false, on the surface is because I think Lincoln Riley has a, a cush position at the University of Oklahoma. He came in, found immediate success. He's brought the University of Oklahoma to the College World, or College World Series. We were just talking about softball. That's on my brain. But he's brought them to the college football playoff on numerous occasions. There's no way that he goes anywhere unless a better offer comes. And Oklahoma, and more specifically, Joe Castiglione is smart enough to begin to work those deals mm -hmm. well before the contracts expire to bump those, those pay that pay up to a, a number that maybe an NFL team would come in and offer Lincoln Riley. And when we look at the pressure that is on Lincoln Riley, I don't think there's any right. at this point. I think the level of success that he's shown and the sustained success is what people will give him a buy on. If he does have a nine or maybe even, heaven forbid, an eight-win season one year. Don't think I don't think that's in the realm of possibilities, Matt, because we've seen it on several occasions under Bob Stoops, and Bob Stoops still felt very secure in his job. And so I think Lincoln Riley feels very secure in that job. I think he likes college, and I think he likes Norman as a college town. So I'm going to go with false on this one. And the reason being is for those, those reasons that I've stated. I don't see Lincoln Riley going anywhere. I don't see him getting a better offer anytime soon. And I, I think he very well, because of his age, could be at the university mm -hmm. for 20 plus years. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on board with you. That makes it six for six. And thanks, Ryan, for for giving us this question. But I'm I'm going to say false as well because you see, I, I understand Bob Stoops won a national championship in his second season. But when you look at the success that Lincoln Riley has has had uh, early in his tenure at the at the University of Oklahoma, you're talking about a guy who's who's already got a program sustained. At, a, at an elite level, he is a coach who loves the college game. He is passionate about recruiting. You can look at some guys and you can say, man, that guy is an NFL guy. He, he wants, and, and Matt Rule was one of those guys. We've talked about him down in Waco. You knew, you knew being around Matt Rule, you, you could look him on the sidelines. This is a guy who wants to go to the NFL. And you don't get that vibe with Lincoln Riley. He's a hot name in the NFL. A lot of people like his innovation, but He's a he's a guy who thrives on recruiting. He he you you're right. He he writes his own ticket in Norman. He he's got job security. He's got lots of money. They're investing in assistant mm -hmm. coaches. I don't think he goes anywhere. I don't know that he is going to end his career early either, like Bob Stoops did. So therefore, I'm agreeing with you and saying this is false. Okay, final one, um, man. If I'm if I mess this name up, I I'm so sorry. Uh, Nando Mays from Facebook says this: Is Oklahoma 
going to pick up another running back from the transfer portal? And if so, would it be the LSU kid or the Alabama kid? Now, just in case you're, if you're listening and you're not in the know, both schools recently had running backs who were down on the depth chart, step away and enter into the transfer portal. One of those being uh, Killian Robinson uh, for Alabama. And the other one was, uh, man, I'm blanking on his name suddenly, um, Trey Bradford from LSU. Bradford was a five-star kid. Do you think either one of these guys sees that there's an opening at the University of Oklahoma because Seth McGowan is no longer on this roster and they jump into this running back room. True or false, Oklahoma will pick one of those guys up. Pardon the silence there. Man. That, that one's just so hard for me to speculate. And it's because Oklahoma has already taken one, one running back out of the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I know that, Matt, I've been a huge proponent of saying that Oklahoma needs – to add additional names, but they need to do it through the traditional route of recruiting instead of through the the transfer portal because of the seasons. Now with Seth McGowan gone, because of the two recruiting cycles where they have no running backs, you're going to dispute that because you think Mikey Henderson counts. I'm still not counting him. And here's what I think happens. I think Oklahoma makes a run at one of these names. So I'm going to say true that they get one of these running backs out of the transfer portal. Mikey Henderson goes back to the H-back position. I just don't see a transfer of this caliber. I don't know that they'll get either the guy from Alabama or LSU because I don't see running backs of that caliber coming to the University of Oklahoma to sit behind Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. Well, that's already, just a difficult situation. Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying, but they're already um, they're already sitting behind they're, 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 they're mm-hmm. down on the depth chart at both respective schools, LSU and Alabama. I'm, man, I can't believe we're, we're seven for seven in agreeing, though. I, I, but I'm going to throw another name out here Darwin Barlow, the kid from TCU yes. who has decided yes. to transfer out as well. And I think, I think there's a, a high chance that Oklahoma either adds Darwin Barlow or the kid from, from LSU or maybe even both. Um, I, I just, I, I think there's a chance, a good chance that Oklahoma does add depth to this running back room. But as what I think you're saying, Rich, I don't believe this is something that's intended to have an impact in 2021. I believe this is adding depth for 2022, mm-hmm. be it Barlow or be it the Alabama kid, which I don't think Oklahoma is going to get him, but I do think there's a chance Uh, we could get a kid from Baton Rouge to come play football in Norman. Uh, Thanks again, Nando. I hope I did your name right. Nando Mays uh, with that question. Okay, to close this out, Rich, um, baseball, Oklahoma baseball ends the regular season. They get bounced out in a bad way in the Big 12 tournament. They do not qualify for the NCAA tournament. Um, I I don't think – I'm going to preface this by saying – I don't think Skip Johnson's job is in jeopardy, but I do think something has to change with this coaching staff. Agree or disagree? I can't disagree with you. And it's such a stark contrast from what we saw at the beginning of what could have been a 2020 season. Oklahoma, very productive from the mound, stellar pitching. You have the complete game shutout. They're on the road. I believe Mm -hmm. that one was against LSU. It's a national player of the week situation. We know Skip Johnson is a pitching coach himself, and and that's really where his pedigree comes from. So I've always expected that to be the strong suit. That was not the case this year. I don't really feel as though Oklahoma had figured out much of anything, whether it was defense or offense, more specifically on the defensive side of the ball, a pitching, a quality pitching rotation that put you in a favorable position before we had to dig into the into the 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 bullpen and pull these relief pitchers out so I don't think his job is in jeopardy I think we're looking at that that what could have been 2020 and we're saying there's so much potential there that everything was thrown into a state of flux and this year is is you're just going to get a pass on it. I mean, we have to be realistic and we have to recognize 
that this is not a program like a TCU. This is not a program like a, a Texas Tech over the past decade. It's a, a, a program that has had some success inside of that decade, but it's never been sustained. So I do agree with you. Job security, uh, I don't think it's in jeopardy at this point, but it certainly will be next season. Well, here's the problem when you compare, when you, when you bring 2020 into the equation here. You're right. Absolutely right. What you're saying about 2020, it was a season that showed a lot of promise, but it's a season that ended prematurely due to the COVID pandemic. 2020 was a team that 100% was going to be an NCAA tournament team. They were a team that was, they were most likely worthy of earning a spot all the way into the super regionals, if not beyond. But none of that happened. And so you go from a disappointing 2019 to a disappointing 2021. And the, the, the last two season conclusions have been disappointment under Skip Johnson. And when you look at 2021, you see what the, what the failure was, was on the mound. It wasn't behind the plate with the batters. It was the guys on the mound. And Skip Johnson's supposed to be the pitching guru. Again, I don't think anything with his job right now is is in jeopardy, but I do think there's you're, you've already got kids in the transfer portal. You, you're mm-hmm. kind of in a bad place when you look at this program, the way this season ended, the kids jumping in the transfer portal. Something has to give at this point. You, I, if you're Joe Castiglione and you're this athletic department, you can't just roll this over into 2022. There's got to be a little bit of pressure in the way of, hey, Skip, you got to bring in a true pitching coach because you're struggling. And you see this in, in football. You, you see like uh, the offensive coach and the, off- the, the offensive coordinator and the head coach being the same guy. Some dudes can do it. Lincoln Riley does a great job at it. Cliff Kingsbury in the NFL, surprisingly good at it. But some guys just struggle trying to manage both. And that could be the situation that Skip Johnson is in with this baseball program. But they definitely have to improve. And suddenly 2022 becomes a massive year for Skip Johnson in the University of Oklahoma on the baseball diamond. That will wrap it up for us. Thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate you uh, participating. We always love to know your thoughts and comments, where you agree, where you disagree, uh, other things you want to add to the conversation. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Also, you can find us every day on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Enjoy the softball. Hopefully the Sooners make a strong run at it. Boomer Sooners.